and welcome to Screen Cleaning, the show here on BYU Radio that is all about shining a spotlight on all that is good and entertainment. I'm Jeff Simpson, and today I've got a very special guest with me. He is a frequent contributor to Screen Cleaning, and he's one of our BYU Broadcasting family members. Rod Gustafson, it's great to have you back. It's great to be here. Thanks, Jeff. So part of the reason I invited you to be here on the show with me today is because— I work for free. Oh, no, 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 that wasn't it. (laughs) Your check will show up in the mail in six to eight weeks. Um, Certainly that, but more importantly, you are a huge movie fan. You've been doing this for decades, but you've also—you're the only person in this room— who has seen all the movies that are nominated for an Academy Award this year? Hmm. And you know, you're right. I've had I actually some conversations think I have. with you about this, and I've probably seen a handful of them. And uh, you know, your assessment of this year in movies—we won't say which year because we've stopped referencing this year on <laughs> yes. screen cleaning for a number of reasons. But this year in movies is is kind of been a downer, right? I mean, talk mm-hmm. about. Briefly, some of the movies that have been nominated and are up for these amazing big awards. So you're absolutely right, Jeff. This has been a year of, you know, serious movies, movies that are trying to make a statement about very serious issues. And so for in the Best Picture category, we've got films like Judas and the Black Messiah and The Trial of the Chicago Seven, which are both movies about the about the history, the history of what's been happening with people of color in the United States and specifically. African Americans. Uh, we've got uh, Minari, which is a, a really cool little foreign film that has come in. That again, it's the story of immigration, the story of an immigrant family coming to the United States. Nomadland, which is covering a, a, a group of people that you rarely hear anything about, and they're really these people that have been lost during the pandemic, where they've lost their minimum wage jobs, and now they're literally living on the road, living in cars and trailers and whatnot. So, yeah, it gives you an idea, you know, of, of <laughs> some of the movies, like, there's not a lot of fun stuff in the Oscars this year. Sure, and I of those three movies that you mentioned, or four movies that you mentioned, I've seen one of them, which is Minari. We actually, uh, Avery, Cole, and I went to go see it together, and even though that one is infused with a lot of humor, right. it kind of drags you through the mud through oh, most yeah. of the movie. It's yeah. it's kind of a sad, depressing movie until it's maybe not. There's uh-huh. a flicker of hope. There's a flicker say. of hope. But you know that really is the case with many of these movies is you get a little flicker of hope, but you really— not much else. Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> well, it's interesting because, you know, on screen cleaning, we we try our darndest to, to shine a spotlight— on the good, the uplifting, and the movies that really make you love movies and help you feel good and movies that you can enjoy with your families, right? And so we actually had this idea, instead of focusing so much on the Oscars of this year, and just to let you know, the Oscars will air on April 25th. It's mm-hmm. a Sunday. Yep. Um, and it's going to look a little different from <laughs> Oscar ceremonies in years past, right? It's... Even the rules have changed this year to to accommodate films that were shelved or postponed due to COVID, right? Right. So you have movies that weren't released until 2021 that are eligible for a 2020 Oscar. And so usually 
the dumping ground of movies, you know, February <laughs> through April, we're actually seeing these really big award-worthy movies, yeah. right? Yeah. And a lot of them are going straight to streamers. Some of them are, you know, going to movie theaters, but they might be a little difficult to find. But uh, uh, the reason that we kind of want to shy away from those is because, again, we want to help uplift you and think about movies that are going to make you feel great or that aren't necessarily so heavy or depressing and movies that you might feel a little better taking your kids to or uh, recommending to a friend, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Rod and I had the idea to talk about some of our favorite Oscar winners and Oscar nominees of years past, covering some of the major categories. Now, I'll say up front, we're not going to cover Best Director, although, you know, that might seem like an oversight on our part. There have been some amazing directors over the years. But we will cover such categories as Best Picture and Best Actor, Actress, Supporting Actor, Supporting Actress, Original Screenplay, Original Score. Uh, what am I missing here, Rod? Let's see. Actress, original Supporting song. Actress, and Original Song. That's yes. right. I think I covered most and of And I them. didn't know we weren't doing Best Director, so I won't talk about how much I love Citizen Kane. Oh, okay. <laughs> that sorry, well, Orson Welles. Speaking so of, we're citizen, done. That's okay. You saw there is a citizen, a yes. citizen Kane tie-in for this year. Yes, right? yes. This is probably the one movie that really wasn't focusing on a very serious, I guess, uh, current topical issue, and that's Mank, which is a story about the making of Citizen Kane. So, if you were a film buff, and let's just say that Citizens Kane, if there is a film school. Necessary movie. It's it, it's Citizen Kane, of course, directed by Orson Welles, and the movie Mank is done very much in the style of Citizen Kane, and uh, Gary Oldman in just an amazing performance. So thank you. There you go. That is the one. I guess if you wanted to say entertaining movie, again, it's not a happy. I wouldn't call it an uplifting story. But if you're a film buff, <laughs> it's a movie to watch. Avery's over here shaking his head. <laughs> Certainly not a happy, uplifting <laughs> yeah, film. No, not a happy movie. Um, that ain't no happy child. It story, is interesting, though, because that movie <laughs> came out on Netflix, as did mm-hmm. the Chicago of the – or uh, the Trial of the Chicago 7. Right. Uh, uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom yep. is another Netflix movie. And so this is a a big year for streaming movies – and award-worthy streaming movies. Not too long after there's been this big debate on should streaming movies even be allowed to be nominated mm-hmm. for Oscars. Yeah. And COVID kind of ended that that confrontation, didn't it? Yeah, it really did. It yeah. did. Yeah. The world, the cinematic world has changed. I know we say this about so many things with COVID, but this is an industry that has been permanently changed. Yeah. Yeah. So, Rod, how do you want to do this? You want to start with the biggest category of them all, which is best picture? Do we want to work our way backwards? And let's, why don't we start with best visual effects? Best visual effects. This that is, probably is a good idea. Now, I, I got to tell you, Jeff, maybe when you and I talked about this a week ago, some of my movies are still serious, but <laughs> I really like them. For sure, yeah. <laughs> okay. And just to, just to, uh, just to highlight what we're talking about here, we're not necessarily saying the best ever of any of these right. categories. We're just saying our favorites from these categories. Yeah, and and I guess for me, I try. Yeah, exactly. My favorites and movies that I feel like have held up 
very well over the years because sometimes movies will win an Oscar because uh, it was issue-related. It was something going on at that moment in time that kind of, in my opinion, swayed people a little bit more than just the quality of the movie itself. But I tried to think about movies that, you know, even today, it would have a good chance of still getting that Oscar. Absolutely. Yeah. So I I love that we're starting with best visual effects because a lot of these movies, you would think, okay, they're just going to give it to the the big, dumb action movie, where actually... Some of these action movies have not only been iconic, but they've gone on to be nominated for some even bigger awards outside of the special effects and the sound Mm -hmm. and the editing, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm talking about movies recently that have kind of broken that barrier have been Black Panther and Mad Max Fury Road, yes, which both went on to, to be nominated for Best Picture. And Mad Max Fury Road was even nominated for Best Director. And what's interesting about these movies is that usually there's a correlation between a movie that has either been an incredible success at the box office or it's been critically acclaimed that they these movies, they don't really spread the love. And, you know, oh, let's let's share all these different awards from these different categories with these other movies. No, there are certain movies that just go and they win every Oscar that they're nominated for, and rightly so, right? For me, it's really between two movies, one that came out in 1999, The Matrix, which did win every Oscar it was nominated for. But for me, my favorite, and again, most of my picks are not R-rated movies. It's interesting, though, that I'm starting out with an R-rated movie <laughs> because a lot of these special effects yeah. movies tend to be R-rated. Um, and it's I would consider it to be, if Mad Max Fury Road is not my favorite action movie of all time, it's certainly T2 Judgment Day <laughs> starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. This yeah. had some special effects in it. That were jaw dropping at the time, mm-hmm. and even today, you know, yeah. if they don't hold up all the way, the story is so fascinating that you could forgive it. And you know, James Cameron, of course, this innovator in yeah. the world of special effects, not a big surprise there. But the story is solid, and it's it's interesting because you take this formula that that is tried and true. You know, you take this big bad buff guy, you make him the villain in this movie. But what's interesting about the premise of this movie is they switch it up, and all of a sudden he goes from being the villain to being the hero. Mm-hmm. He's there to kill somebody in the first one. He's there to protect somebody in the right. second one. Right. So really interesting premise right off the bat. But also, the special effects are truly a marvel to behold, and it's no wonder. I think the only thing it didn't win that year that it, uh, that it was nominated for was Best Editing, which there would have been a good case for it winning that year, but it won mm-hmm. everything else. So there certainly is a correlation between big blockbuster movies that also happen to be critically acclaimed that go on to just sweep all the Oscars in the technical categories, yes, right? Yes, So that would be my pick from 1992, T2, Judgment Day. Well, I went old school on this, Jeff, because <laughs> for me, Clash I feel the like in these <laughs> days – oh, even older school – in these days – of and this is where my age is showing you can do so much digitally 
that it's almost limitless. But I have huge respect for those artists that managed to pull off amazing special effects that what we call in the industry are practical effects. Sure. They are through the lens of the camera. So honorable mention, 1927 Metropolis. <laughs> you look at that film and, and I was, I did, I dug in and did some reading about this, about how they used mirrors and sketches it, to be able to incorporate the images together with humans and to real life actors. And when you look at that film and you think 1927, like they hadn't, it's not even, it's not even a talky movie. It's, there's not even a sound, uh, a, a, a synced soundtrack. It was still a silent film. But when you look at what they're doing on the screen, it's amazing. So honorable mention, but for me, Stanley Kubrick, 2001, A Space Odyssey. I watch that movie today. Oh, yeah. And I know this is, this is a movie that 50% of the population goes, oh, that's the stupidest movie I ever saw. And I, totally, I don't agree. I totally get why some people feel that way. I don't either. I really like that film. But you look at those space sequences. It set the bar for a space movie, if you will, ever since. And I watch that movie today. I'll pop in my Blu-ray, blow it up on a 120-inch screen. You don't have it on LaserDisc. And it's still, I <laughs> actually sold my LaserDisc about oh, 15 years ago. <laughs> how could you? That seems like a crime. It, it just looks fabulous. So, yeah, and yeah. there are still things in movies like that where you just scratch your head thinking, how did they do that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, amazing. Just incredible stuff. So let's talk now about... Um, best original song. Now, this one is really tough, but it's also it, there are some years where, you know, it, it almost feels like a consolation Oscar because they they really struggle to find five songs that can be nominated for best original song. Right. Um, in fact, I was just talking to Avery during the break about Brett McKenzie, who won uh, the Oscar for Man or Muppet from the movie The Muppets, there were only two nominated songs that year, that and a song from Rio. So I purposely chose a song from a year where there was maybe some stiffer competition. Wow. And this one is actually uh, semi-recent. It's from, Well, it's definitely recent. It's from 2017, and it's a year where there it could have gone either way. It could have gone to This Is Us, from The Greatest Showman, and a lot of people put their money on This Is Us from The Greatest Showman, I was holding out for the one that I thought was the better song because it it had, it there was, it was so much more than a song. It was the movie. Like, it was the whole point of the movie, and it was from the movie Coco, mm. Remember Me. And I want to, if I may, just play a little snippet of that song, and I want to see if you can listen to it without crying, Rod. Remember me, though I have to travel far. Remember me, each time you hear a sad guitar. Know that I'm with you, the only way that I can be. Until you're in my arms again Remember me 
Rod, here's the box of Kleenex <laughs> for you. Well, come on. You didn't tell me you came with a song. Gosh. I never in my wildest dreams thought that Pixar could release a movie about family history and it would it would blow me away like that. And I have an interesting story about that song because I was in the movie theater, again, was really enjoying it because I was not expecting much from this movie based on the trailer that I had saw and rolled my eyes at. Mm -hmm. And yet this was the pinnacle scene in the movie. And it just so happens that one of my kids had to go to the bathroom right at that moment. (laughs) And so I was kind of shooing them away like, be quiet, be quiet. And so I was standing in there in the aisle, tears streaming down my face. (laughs) The second time I I watched this movie, I was crying even more. And an ugly man cry sound came out of my throat. And I very quickly looked around to see if anybody had noticed that I had just made that noise. And, yeah, this, to me, I— what it, what the other thing that's great about this song is that it it appears three times. It, it, you hear it more than three times in the movie, but it's sung by three different sets of characters, right? And it means something different every single time. Well, that's a really good point. And isn't it interesting how some of us like I'm I'm an easy cry in a movie, Jeff, <laughs> but I didn't shed a tear in that movie, and now I'm thinking <gasps> I need to go back. I've missed something. You I don't need know. to you need to put put some new batteries in your heart. There. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I do. Well, wait till you hear my the song I picked. I okay. mean, there were so many to pick from, but I wanted to find one that didn't win the Oscar, but this one was nominated, and uh, it is from 1985, Footloose. Oh which, my goodness! I mean, if you can you're, think you're of cheating it, cheating a little bit because it didn't win. Well, it didn't win. Did, did do these have to have won? Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. You mean you want ones that have actually won? No, Footloose mm. is contagious. Okay. I understand. Well, gosh, well, you're talking that I'm going to be going through my other list of categories. <laughs> we, all right. Well, I picked Footloose because I feel like if there is a song that is, first of all, it's the movie title. And I feel like the song represents the spirit of what was happening in the movie. Oh, sure. And, and so, to me, it works really well. You know, a lot of movies, the song is tucked into the credits and really has nothing to do with the movie, which is why you're right. Remember me. That is that is a, a tremendous song because it really it represents the movie. the movie. Yeah. And I feel like Footloose really represents the movie. So even though it's this crazy pop song, it has endured decades. Oh, you've and, got this group yeah. of kids that have all this pent-up energy that they want to just get out, and John Lithgow yeah. won't let them do it. No. And so by the end of the <laughs> movie and the yeah. final scene, they're breaking loose, yeah. footloose. And the song really, really works well. So, yeah, yeah. So I thought we were looking for the underdog songs that sh- or the underdog awards that should have won. So, oh, well, we'll see how my my picks contrast with your picks, Jeff. All right. Yes, footloose. Well, the next category would be best original score. This one I must have I must have shortlisted in quotes like eight different films. This one was tough for me to choose because John Williams has won at least five times, right? In yeah. multiple categories, <laughs> but uh and he has some of the most iconic scores of all time, to be sure. And of course, you know, I was shocked to see that Rocky and uh Bill Conti's score wasn't even nominated for an Oscar when by all accounts, it may have, it should have maybe won that year. 
But I'm actually going to go a little more modern. Again, this is a movie that surprised me. It came out the year after my wife and I got married. And so it really pulled on our heartstrings. And uh, let me just play this song for you, and I think you'll understand why. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You want to know? You were talking about the Kleenexes. I cannot get through that those first few minutes of Up without a Kleenex. Absolutely. Uh, that one just they nailed it. In fact, that is such a tremendous example of filmmaking and telling a story without saying a word. It's amazing. It really is. And there are people, we won't name them, Cole Wissinger, who feel like (laughs) maybe the movie as a whole isn't that strong and that they could have made this into an animated short and it would have been so much better or just as powerful. I don't agree. Um, However, I totally agree with, with what you just said about telling a story within a few minutes and having it impact you that much you fall in love with this couple within a few minutes you see their entire lives and then she's gone and it is heart-wrenching but uh no offense cole wait two decades (laughs) and then tell me there you go how you feel yeah yeah (laughs) but this is from obviously 2009's up and that score is from michael giacchino who does really everything for Disney now. But there was no question that that score was going to win that year, and rightly so, because, again, not only does it does it encapsulate their entire relationship within a few minutes, but then it expands, and that final scene where that house is sitting on the waterfall and you get those last few notes as they fade away. It's just a perfect prelude to the entire movie where, uh, you you know, you walk into a movie thinking you're just going to watch a a movie about a crazy old guy who floats away in a a house full of (laughs) helium-filled balloons, and you get so much more, and and you really, it would not be the same without the score. And really, I mean, most of these movies that we're going to talk about wouldn't be the same without the score. You know, I once saw, for instance, I once saw a clip from Jaws with the music and one without the music. And Jaws, like, the music makes the movie, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So anyway, that is my pick, 2009's Up. Thank you, Michael Giacchino. Well, when it comes to a score for me, I really like to think of a movie where I'm listening to the music long after I've seen the movie and that where the score kind of even sustains itself so I can be driving down the highway listening to it and enjoying it. And I got to say, there have been a few movies that have hit that mark for me, but including The Greatest Showman, which honorable mention, but La La Land. La La Land oh, yeah. is just, you know, it, it really provided. I guess it's a throwback score because it's got that 1940s musical feel, but done in this modern, great energy way that I just love. Justin Hurwitz just did a, a beautiful job of that. That was on my short hit list. The mark. 
Yeah. Yeah. That one won, even though it did not win Best Picture that year, even though yeah. I think it but should so have. But so close to winning Best Picture. For a moment, <laughs> it did win Best Picture, right? For about that 20 seconds right. yes. of utter confusion. Yep. Yeah. Well, we're having a great time uh, revisiting Oscar winners and nominees of years past. And when we return, we're going to be moving up the ladder and we'll be talking about such Oscar categories as Best Supporting Actor and Best Supporting Actress. That's all up next here on Screen Cleaning. Welcome back to Screen Cleaning. Today on the show, instead of talking about the Academy Award-nominated films of the current year, 2021, we are actually going back and taking a look at some of the favorite Oscar-nominated and winning films of years past, because there are plenty of other films that are uplifting, that make you feel great, or that just, you know reignite your love for the movies because rod this year is probably not the year that that's going to happen right mm, yeah probably <laughs> not i mean it's not like there weren't good movies nominated this year movies with important things to say but yeah it's a bit of a harder year to just kind of relax and watch a movie yeah so we've already covered Best Visual Effects, Best Original Screenplay, Best Original Song, and Best Original Score. And now we're going to take a look at some of the acting categories. And for me, Rod, um, this one, I was noticing a trend, and I wanted to tread lightly because this this could be construed as kind of a controversial category of Best Supporting Actress. Mm-hmm. You've, you've heard a lot in, in movies a lot about this idea of a, a black savior, right, or a person of color that comes in and solves the problems of a Caucasian character, mm, yes. right? Oh, yes. And so when I shortlisted my three, I thought, oh, no, do these all fall into that category? But I think there's something significant about each one of them. And while I didn't ultimately choose Hattie McDaniel from 1939's Gone with the Wind, the fact that she won defies pretty much all the odds, right? This is a woman that uh, there were two nominated actresses in this category that year. The other one was Olivia de Havilland, who did not win because Hattie McDaniel won, who plays this maid in, you know, a very controversial film that uh, I, I really enjoy. I enjoy her performance. But this is a woman that was not even allowed to attend the Oscar ceremony at which she won the Oscars or she won that that Oscar for, for that performance. So that is a travesty in and of itself. But uh, another example would be, um, this is flashing way forward, and it would be when Octavia Spencer won for The Help. And I think you were going to say something about her in maybe just a second, spoiler alert. <laughs> but the person I ultimately ended up choosing was from 1990's Ghost, Whoopi Goldberg winning she had been nominated before for the color purple, but she wins here for kind of being Whoopi Goldberg, right? Yes. But it is a fantastic comedic performance, which is is fantastic because comedic performances, like straight comedic performances like this, don't often get recognized and even less frequently they win the Oscar, right? 
But Whoopi Goldberg, for me, makes the movie Ghost because the fact that Ghost was nominated for a ton of Academy Awards the year that it came out is kind of a head scratcher in and of itself because, <laughs> you know, you, you whenever I tell people that Ghost was nominated for Best Picture, they're like, what? Really? Yeah. yeah. Ghost? And I, yeah. I have to agree, even though it is a very enjoyable film, yeah. it was a huge success at the box office. And as far as romance movies, this is kind of at the top of the list, right? Ghost. And her performance in it is just so funny and so pivotal to the plot of the movie and to the heart of the movie, I will say. So in my opinion, very well-deserved, my favorite Best Supporting Actress, Whoopi Goldberg. Interesting. The Supporting Actress category for me is one of my favorite Oscar categories because it has an incredible variety of women in it, and they are incredible actresses. And it's a situation, this is the other thing that that bothers me about movies over the years, and probably it's just part of our history too, which I know is beginning to change, but most of our protagonists are male over the years, and probably Mm -hmm. I have a leaning towards... What I'm about to say, because I really like stories, I love movies that are based on real-life events, that are based on true stories. And unfortunately, most of our true stories involve men doing amazing or horrendous things. Sure, yeah. And most of those (laughs) men have a woman beside them that saves the planet, even though the story really (laughs) is about the man. And so we get these powerful women who are playing second fiddle to a man, and that's the supporting actress category. And so it, that's the other interesting thing about this. Now that I've gone on that rant, when they talk about <laughs> Octavia, it is nothing to do with her r- really supporting a man. In fact, it's the politics of class sure. in the help and the politics of race. And also it's all about women in this film too, which is very interesting. And so Octavia Spencer, I felt like, Really, I, I'm glad this is the one Oscar that she won in 2011 and really deserved to take that one home because nobody can bake a chocolate pie like Winnie could bake a chocolate pie. You well, <laughs> and you'll speaking of pies and uh, Octavia Spence's character, there's a scene in that movie that you will never forget once you've seen it. You can't unsee it. Yeah, right. You can't unsee so, it. So. My, I don't want to say it's a problem with Octavia Spencer, but I think maybe it's a problem with the the availability of roles that are that are given to people of color and minorities, and I and think women. we're we're slowly starting to see an uptick in that. Mm-hmm. So I think there's good news on that front. But if you look at the two other films for which Octavia Spencer was nominated for Hidden Figures. And for um, oh gosh, why am I blanking on it? Hidden figures and uh, the color, uh, not the color of water, the shape of the water. shape of water, yes. <laughs> the feel of water. Yeah. Right? She's kind of playing the same character in each one of those roles. She is. Right? She's a woman with edge and sass, sass and, and and you know yeah. that's what really a, that's what I find attractive. I, I you know when I see her in a movie, she walks on the screen and you think, all right, she's going to take over and get this problem solved. And so I I find her characters actually endearing, likable. I don't know what the word is for it, but yeah, but I. I guess I say all that to express my hope that – and I've seen it with other actors and actresses yes. who get stuck in this mold that yes. branch off and are able to do other things. 
she's capable of that clearly yeah. because she's an acclaimed Oscar winning actress. And I would love for her to just be given more opportunities to show that range. Because right? unlike some other actors and actresses who I don't believe can go out of those roles, like, for example, way back to Jack Nicholson. I don't know if there's another person he can play <laughs> beside Jack Nicholson. He has but, won three times. Yes, he has for being Jack Nicholson. But Octavia, I do believe she's got that. She has that capability. Absolutely. Totally agree. Okay, supporting actor, I've got to say, between best actress and best supporting actor, this one, these two represented my longest lists that I really had to chip away at to zero in on the one that I liked the most. And so best supporting actor certainly won. And and a lot of them fit the bill of what you just said, Rod, of these horrible, horrible people. And so I... When I was honest with myself, I was able to focus in on one that he's not a horrible person, (laughs) but he's really good at his job. I will say that. So I overlooked people like Heath Ledger and Javier Bardem, who gives one of the scariest performances I've ever seen on film. Uh, Denzel Washington, who famously did the one one tier scene where he's being whipped in the movie Glory. Right. Um, And even Jack Lemmon, who. Growing up, I always considered Jack Lemmon to be my favorite actor of all time. This everyman, lovable schlub that, you know, you're just rooting for, right? Um, But ultimately, I went with an actor in a performance where he – I feel like he just kind of disappears in in the job that he has in the movie. You see so many movies and TV shows this day or these days where – You know, there's some crime scene investigation team or some FBI team or some police squad where all of the people that have that job are these young 20 somethings that are physically chiseled and, you know, drop dead gorgeous. And you're thinking those are not the people that get those jobs. Mm -hmm. Uh, And especially for a, a branch of the government like the U.S. Marshals, you picture these middle-aged, maybe, you know, slight belly, uh, balding, rough around the edges. Those are the people that you picture in these jobs. And so when I saw the movie The Fugitive (laughs) from 1993, I didn't realize it until I got older, but those are the people that I picture in that movie. Right. And the rapport and the banter and the back and forth that Tommy Lee Jones has with the rest of his U.S. Marshals is what I imagine spot on what it might be with the U.S. Marshals. You don't even get the sense that you're watching somebody act. You're watching somebody completely disappear into this role. He's so charming and so <laughs> he's so perfect in this role. You would guess that Tommy Lee Jones had been a U.S. Marshal for the entirety of his career. He has some of the funniest lines in the movie. As I said, the banter is just so funny between him and Joe Pantoliano. And uh, he is a man that is driven to get his man. And you get the sense that, again, he's been doing it for 40 years. And in my opinion, this Oscar was very well deserved in a movie that we go back and revisit frequently. This is a movie we own, but... If it's ever on TV, we'll stop and we'll watch it instead of plopping in the movie, right? Because it's that good in a role 
that good. Very well deserved. Yeah, I have that one on Laserdisc. (laughs) (laughs) I remember when that release came out, it was the must-have Laserdisc for a while. It really was, yeah. So I love spy movies, and I also really love those actors who are – I call them the hardworking actors that show up in so many movies, but they never quite get a role that quite takes them to the Oscar stage. But this one did. In 2016, Mark Rylance took best performance for an actor in a supporting role for Bridge of Spies. And... uh, he is one of those guys. He plays uh, He plays Rudolf Abel, and this, again, based, of course, on a true story, who was arrested and charged for spying on behalf of the Soviet Union. I really appreciate these hardworking actors that show up in so many movies, and yet they, they do a tremendous job, and yet they never quite get to the Oscar podium. They're so close. But this guy managed to make it. And he managed to do it in a spy movie, and I love spy movies, Jeff. So this is 2016, and Bridge of Spies and Mark Rylance takes home the the, uh, Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. That one is a sore spot for me, Rod. Oh, Jeff. Because it is the same year that Sylvester Stallone was nominated for Best Supporting Actor Reprising a role that he had originated from 1976, I believe, and was nominated twice for the same role in different categories, mind you. And that would have been, to me, the perfect Cinderella story and the perfect uh, perfect ending to that Cinderella story. And I got to admit, I loved, I loved that movie. I loved Creed. I felt like he really hit that performance out of the park, too. He was so much more subtle than he was before, right? And if I let you keep talking, you'll convince me that I'm wrong. (laughs) So I can't possibly do that. Well, and he he won the Golden Globe. Sylvester Stallone won the Golden Globe. And what makes Mark Rylance's win so unique and kind of defying the odds is that he was off doing plays. He was continually working. He wasn't taking the time to do the award circuit that maybe Sylvester Stallone was. Yep, yep. And if you, you know, they always show the side by side live video of, you know, the person that uh-huh. wins and also the people that lose. <laughs> and you can see that you could see that maybe there's a little bit of disappointment on Sylvester Stallone's oh, face. Oh, absolutely. I'm sure he yeah. was happy for Mark Rylance, yeah. but it's just like, well, yeah. there goes my last In chance. My last ever. chance. And oh, you, as oh. a viewer, had that same feeling. It's like, Never again will this man be nominated for an Oscar. That was his one and only remaining chance. Can you pass that tissue box again, please? (laughs) Oh, gosh. I I can appreciate Mark Rylance's performance to a degree because you don't often see – usually when somebody's winning an Oscar, it's for these big, flashy, showy performances. And having said that, I mean, Sylvester Stallone's performance this time is certainly a lot less flashy and and a lot more subtle. But Mark Rylance's – on the surface, it's almost it's almost like, it's, really, that guy won? Because I it's know. so subtle. It really is subtle. It's very subdued. Of course, Tom Hanks playing James B. Donovan, who is the, uh, who is the defense lawyer that, uh, that is assigned to Rudolph Abel. And Tom is playing Tom Hanks in this movie. I mean, he's just kind of, sure. well, you know, this is what we need to blah, blah, blah. But for me, Mark Rylance really 
made that movie interesting. And he's one of those guys that can disappear into the role. He's another, I put him in the Gary Oldman category where <laughs> he he takes on the flavor of the character of the movie. You forget you're looking at an actor. You really, really do. Mark Rylance has probably the kindest eyes I've ever seen. He does. He looks yeah. like he's going to be the nicest, sweetest man yeah. you've ever met. I, I, and just I hope that's true. Going down this rabbit hole for less than 20 seconds, I feel like when some actors and actresses become huge celebrities, it is more difficult for them to disappear into the role. And I got to sure. give Meryl Streep yeah. credit. She is one of the very few who we don't, she never seems to reveal enough about who she is as a person to so that when we see her in a movie, we keep thinking, well, that's Meryl Streep. But when I see Tom Hanks, I think, oh, it's Tom Hanks or, you know, it's George Clooney because their personalities seem to overshadow who they ever play. But guys like Mark Rylance, I haven't got a clue what the guy's like. But so when I see him in a movie, he just becomes that character. <laughs> All right. So we're going to move on to Best Actress and Best Actor. Best Actress, like I said, this one, I had a huge list going and that I really had to chip away at. But I want to give it, I mentioned that I don't really have, I have one other R-rated film on this list, but this is one of them. And I could have gone with Emma Stone from La La Land. I could have gone from an amazing performance from Kate Blanchett in Blue Jasmine or Hilary, Sw- Hilary Swank from... Uh, Million Dollar Baby or Helen Hunt from one of my favorite romantic comedy dramedies as good as it gets, Helen Hunt. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, I went with a woman who was a relatively unknown actress at the time and kind of defied some other odds in that you never see – first of all, horror movies don't really get nominated for Oscars. And horror movie actors don't get nominated, let alone win Oscars for their horror performances. Obviously, Anthony Hopkins would be an exception to that for, you know, what, like 12 minutes of screen time? He wins Best Actor. And he wouldn't win today because the Oscars are totally different. But anyway, yes. The person I'm selecting is – it's from the movie in 1990, Misery. Kathy Bates. Mm, Kathy Relative Bates. Relative unknown, yes. but you are terrified by this woman who is James Caan's number one fan in an adaptation of a Stephen King novel. You know, having seen this movie, though, which is directed by Rob Reiner, if you read the book after this, the book, uh, the movie seems like the PG version of the book, and I'm not exaggerating. So you have this woman who well let me let me backtrack a minute you've got this very acclaimed popular well, maybe not acclaimed he was he was an author of these romance novels but very popular author who will write his novels up in these snowy mountains and he never smokes until he finishes his book he has one cigarette and a glass of <laughs> don perion right and he's on his way down from the mountain gets into this horrible car accident and his car is starting to get buried underneath all this snow and this mysterious figure pries open his car and drags him off to safety. When he wakes up, he's in this hospital-like bed, but not in a hospital, in the home of his number one fan, Annie Wilkes, portrayed by Kathy Bates. 
And she <laughs> just happens to be more than his number one fan. She's kind of a number one uh, nutbag, right? Yeah. We'll just say. <laughs> because she's clearly mentally disturbed, mentally imbalanced. And uh, she has no intention of letting her favorite author away from her home and out from underneath her clutches. It is a scary movie in a very scary performance. And again, she defied the odds, but I feel it was a well-deserved win for Kathy Bates. And I totally, okay, open admission, I have not seen that movie, but I love Kathy Bates. I really do. Everything she does. And again, another one of those hardworking actors who disappears in her role. She's been nominated almost a half a dozen times. She was nominated for Primary Colors. She was nominated for Richard Jewell just just this last year or two. Yes. So, yeah, she's definitely... An, a fantastic actress. Yeah, she really, really is. Once again, I'm rolling back. We're going way old school on this. There is a uh, an actress who, again, absolutely amazing to me that she has never taken home an Oscar. So let's go back to 1963 when she was nominated in the Manchurian Candidate. This is Angela Lansbury. And Angela Lansbury, Jeff... So what is amazing, first of all, skill-testing question, Jeff, is Angela Lansbury still alive? She is. She is. She's in her late 90s. You bet. 113 acting credits she has. That's counting up to 2018. And when I checked on the IMDb, she looks like she may have another project on the go. I don't know. <laughs> like, wow, born in 1925. So, you know, do the math. She's around 96 or something like that. She has won an honorary Oscar. They gave her one in 2014. And she won a BAFTA special award. That, of course, that's the British Oscars for outstanding contribution to British cinema But, okay, like the Oscar Special Award, that's a nice to have, but it's kind of like, I'm so sorry. We know you really deserve an Oscar, but nobody's (laughs) going to give it to you. So here you go. You can have this one. Somebody, come on. There's got to be a way we can get Angela Lansbury an Oscar. But uh, the Manchurian Candidate, what an amazing role she plays in that movie. And And that is one of those films where you watch it and it manipulates your brain. You oh, go sure. you work through it and all of the different mechanics that are happening in there and how she plays this this character that has so much power and yet she manages to do it in this just subtle way that is just magnificent. So this is a woman, and again, Angela Lansbury, you bring up her name, what's the first thing you think of today with Angela Lansbury? Oh, I mean, she did a bunch of Disney movies. Okay, for me, it's Murder, <laughs> She Wrote. Maybe oh, okay. because my mother-in-law is still watching Murder, She Wrote on, <laughs> on reruns. And of course, all the Disney films as well. So you you don't really think of her as being an actress that has a lot of that, uh, a lot of that, I guess, spread or capability of doing so many different roles. And yet she did Sweeney Todd oh, and that gosh. darker yes, role that you yes, just mentioned yeah. in The Manchurian Candidate. Yeah, yeah. She's yeah. been all over and just amazing film credits. So there you go. So moving on to Best Actor, I was able to chip it down to two actors, but I went with the one that was more inspiring and less playing himself, <clears throat> Jack Nicholson. So I went all the way back to 1962 and Gregory Peck in To Kill a Mockingbird. 
If you look up AFI's, the American Film Institute's list of 100 greatest heroes and villains, Gregory Peck is number one on that list for playing Atticus Finch, this lawyer who Mm. is going to defend this man of color who is so clearly innocent. And you find yourself applauding his performance while at the same time like screaming at the screen like how can they do this you know how can they get away with this and to see somebody who's going to die on that hill and who is going to stand by this man no matter what it costs yep. him socially yeah. uh, no no matter what it costs him in his career and he is there's no there's no question of him being the number one hero because what a performance so well deserved, Gregory Peck, nineteen sixty two, and I really Monday. love the the way that he interacts. I should be able to remember who's the actress that plays Scout in that movie. I, it's on the tip of my tongue, the young actress. But the way that one one of the things I love in that movie is the father role he plays as much as the lawyer role because he really does. I think that that is just such such an amazing an amazing role that he does in there. Okay, Jeff, I'm going to break the rule. Just for this one, sorry, for best actor. This is a person that I can't believe. This is like the Lego movie not being nominated. <laughs> Andy Serkis not being nominated for playing Caesar in the in the trio of Planet of the Apes movies to me is just like, come on, people. What's going on here? Did you, did you miss the screening? Did you not go? And some people might argue what he's doing is real acting, you know, as opposed yeah. to like this oh. less showy or this more showy stuff. He is really, you know, he's exploring the space and he's able to convey all of this emotion and motivation mm-hmm. just with he is. his body. And That's he it. is deeply involved in that most motion capture technology as well. I think that he, well, he, he at least has part ownership or something of the company that's involved in doing this. And it really has been groundbreaking work that he has done. Some people, I think it makes some people a little worried and scared. Is this going to mean that we aren't going to need humans anymore yeah. in movies? I don't think so. But you'd have when, to find that, you'd have to find that many other people that can be just as good as he is oh, in that role. Oh, it's just amazing when you watch Caesar, that character that he's playing in those films. It is incredible. So sorry for breaking the rule. That's okay. He has been nominated by virtually, or won, <laughs> by virtually every other film award circle. When you go through the list, it is amazing, but not the Oscars. And other people that have not uttered a single word of dialogue have been nominated and even won Oscars. So why can't we nominate Andy Serkis? I totally agree. Yeah, I it just baffles my mind. So anyway, one of those, thank you for letting me break the rule Absolutely. on Absolutely. When we return, we are going to give out our favorite Oscar. We're not really giving them out, but we're just naming some of our favorite Oscar-nominated and Oscar-winning performances and films of years past. So when we return, it's the big one, folks. Best Picture. That's up next here on Screen Cleaning. Welcome back to Screen Cleaning. We are wrapping up our discussion on favorite Oscar winners and nominated actors and actresses and performances and and movies of years past. And we've come to the big one. 
This is Best Picture. And you know what's ironic? We're almost out of time, and it's time for the Best Picture Award. It's just like the Oscars. <laughs> and yet, they're going to go over, they're going to give the biggest winner of the night their time to, you know, their time in the spotlight to give their acceptance speech. This one, I was able to chip down to three, but I ultimately chose one that I feel uh, captures the heart of what movies can be. So... I, I used to – when I was in college, I made a, a, a list of 10 favorite movies, which now looks completely different. I, I would be surprised if any one of those films is still on my list of favorite movies. But two of those films that were on my list were Amadeus from 1984 mm-hmm. and Oliver from 1968. Okay. I love, love, love those movies. I love the performances in those movies. But ultimately, I went with a movie that spawned a franchise that really is a Cinderella story and that they're still making these movies today. And the reason I chose it is because I think this is what movies can be all about. This idea of I I guess let me backtrack and say I love underdog movies. I love going to the movies and rooting for characters. And I think that's one of the reasons why I love movies in general is I love characters that you can root for, that you love, that you care about, that you want to see succeed, even if they've been dragged through the mud the entire movie. And so I had to go with 1976's Rocky, Mm. especially since Sylvester Stallone did not walk away with the Oscar. He lost to Mike Rylance. But he was nominated for Best Actor. He was nominated for Best Original Screenplay. Rocky won for Best Picture. So although he did not win an Oscar that night, he, of course, was invited up on stage because this movie never would have been made without him. This is a movie that he shopped around. He wrote it super quick, and uh, he stuck to his guns, and he said, I will not sell this movie unless I play the title role. This relative unknown at the time stuck to his guns, and boy, oh boy, did it pay off. And now we have Sly Stallone. Yeah, the making of the movie is parallels the story in the movie. It really does. Yeah, yeah it's That incredible. was my pick, Rod. How about yours? My pick goes back to 1963 and a lovely film that was nominated for the Oscar that year but didn't quite do it, Lilies of the Field. Oh, my goodness. And Lilies of the Field is one of those movies that is like an onion where you can you can peel back the layers and the more you kind of watch like Shrek. It, Shrek is like an onion. Shrek Donkey like calls him an onion, onion. you know? No, he calls himself an onion, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Shrek and Sidney Poitier never really thought about the two of them together, <laughs> but who knows? That could happen. But when you watch Lilies of the Field, what I really love about it is, of course, this is the story of the man who pulls over because uh, his car is broken down and he meets a group of of immigrant nuns who are living in the middle of the dusty southwest desert in the United States, and they are wanting to build a chapel, <laughs> a chapel ah. as they a chapel as they say in their German accents, and they try and conscript Sidney Poitier's character into doing this for them. But there is a community of people involved of this, people of different races, different cultural backgrounds, different um, economic backgrounds. 
And when you watch this movie multiple times, you see how each of them have their own prejudice and each of them also, though, have their own gift that they can bring to this. And it it is really a movie that talks so much about many of the things that we're facing in our day-to-day, but does it in a very subtle and wonderful way. So that's Lilies of the Field. Well, there you have it, folks. You've basically got our list of alternative Oscars in a year riddled with movies that, you know, almost weren't released because of the COVID-19 pandemic, but also just aren't the most uplifting or even, you know, movies that are going to make you feel good about yourself, right? So we wanted to give you some movies that maybe you could feel a little better about yourself or at least reignite your appreciation for the movies in a year where that's probably not likely going to happen, right? Mm. But there's always next year, right? Tomorrow's tomorrow's movies I, might be our next favorite ones, and right? And I think over this next year, we're going to see some lighter material coming out. I think this could be a little Boy, bit of a I hope shift. so. Yeah. We need yeah. it. As, yeah, as, we a, as citizens of the world, we need it for <laughs> sure. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Screen Cleaning. I want to thank Rod Gustafson for helping me out and being a guest on today's show. Rod, thanks for being here. Jeff, it was fun. Thank you. And we will be back next week to give you the very best in entertainment. As we do each and every week, we like to shine a spotlight on the good in entertainment. I'm Jeff Simpson. I've been here with Rod Gustafson, and we'll see you next week. 